podcast where we talk about everything tabletop RPG related, mainly with a focus on Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, but you know what, we like a little bit of everything out here, so let's roll. Today we're going to start off uh, our homebrew discussion series where we talk about uh, a homebrew product, uh, try and spotlight some smaller creators, and just kind of do a bit of a breakdown of a class, a subclass, monster, adventure maybe, and just give a bit of thoughts on it. This isn't really a review. Um, I might give some thoughts and feedback on what I think on some of the things, but for the most part, we're going to be discussing how the classes work, how the subclasses work, whether they achieve a goal that's set out for them and so on. And today, as much as I said we're going to spotlight some smaller creators, today we're going to arguably tackle the largest creator in the community, and that's Matthew Mercer. We're going to tackle the Blood Hunter with our first episode. So before we get into that, I want to talk about kind of my approach and my thoughts and what I've read and heard and the general discussions around homebrew, mainly with regards to like classes and subclasses and so on. So, generally, I hear there's like three questions, like two or three questions that are maybe asked around when someone goes, ah, oh, I want to make this homebrew, whether it's a class, a subclass, and so on. And the first one is, can you make this? Can you do this thing that you want to do, achieve this fantasy you want to achieve with something that's already in D&D 5th edition? Um, let's use an example. Let's say uh, you want to play, your player wants to play a character that's, uh, gotten their power from making a deal with a dragon and they got this like draconic energy cool you you're as a dm you hear this and you're like okay sick no stress you can definitely play a draconic sorcerer that works um i know draconic bloodline is normally like to do with some form of ancestry and things like that but it definitely can work and easily fits in with the idea of a dragon giving you some of this this ancient power but then you think, okay, cool, but I kind of wanted to play a warlock kind of a character. Like, thematically, the idea of playing a draconic sorcerer and with the idea of a dragon giving me these powers thematically makes sense, but mechanically, it's not what the player wants to play. Okay, cool, no stress. So then you get to your second question, which is, can this thing you want to play, thing that you want to do, thing you want to create, can it be achieved by just... Re, um, by re-skinning something. Well, not re-skinning, but can you take something that already exists and edit it and change it? As opposed to re-flavoring, re-skinning, like what we said with Draconic Bloodline with Sorcerer, they want to go They want to go the Warlock route. Okay, cool. So then what you can maybe do is you can say, all right, let's take uh, the Fiend Warlock. Um, very much to do with fire and things. And you can say, all right, maybe you made a pact with um, uh, Tiamat, and that still fits in with the whole Fiend vibe, and you've got fire powers. But now you're like, okay, no, but I don't want, I want it to be more like draconic elemental energies. I want fire and ice and all these things. That doesn't really fit with that. Cool. So then we take it as a starting point and we move from there. So if you look at Fiend Warlock, it's all about getting fire abilities and uh, like sending um, uh, your energy, like a got this packed and you get uh fiendish uh like abilities and you can send your send the enemies through to like the hulls and things like that so you could definitely still do that and just kind of take it as a starting point and be like all right let's take this fiend uh, fiend warlock 
and change maybe some of the spells that you get access to. Or you still get the whole thing where you get like a damage resistance and now you can change that to it's an element that is related to the draconic type. Cool. And then throw them through um when you throw your, your your enemies through hell, you can instead throw them through like the draconic horde or something like that, and they get frightened by the majesty of the dragon of the ancient dragon that you've got your power from. That can work. You've taken the subclass that already exists. You're trying to fulfill the uh, like the heroic fantasy that you're trying to build up there, and you haven't had to do too much. You can change and edit a class that already exists. So those are the second question that's generally the second question people ask when they're like oh i want to start making homebrew but then i asked the third question do you want to just make homebrew because that's fine writing is fun and people should enjoy doing things that they enjoy and it doesn't like maybe sometimes you'll be like oh why do you want to go through all the effort go through all the work of making a whole subclass when it really exists like that just for one or two changes that you want to go through do what you want man do what makes you happy do what you enjoy writing homebrew is fun but then just know that people might look at it with the lens of like but can't this just be uh like if you wanted to make a draconic uh patron warlock be aware that if the whole thing is about like fire and elemental magics and stuff people might look at it and be like you could have just changed the fiend warlock you know so those are the kind of questions that i kind of keep in mind when people when you have a homebrew, when you're writing homebrew and thinking of it. So that leads me to the discussion then about the Blood Hunter. So the fantasy that's kind of created with this Blood Hunter character, for those of you that don't know, I'm sure if anyone's listening to a Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop RPG related podcast, they more than likely know what a critical role is. Uh, but if you don't, Matthew Mercer, he's a voice actor and uh, the dungeon master for Critical Role. And he created this subclass called, or this class, sorry, called the Blood Hunter, which we're going to tackle today, which is very much this cursed, dark warrior that's undergone this, uh, this, 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 uh, the sacrifice of their humanity to become the ultimate monster hunter. And um, they use blood magic and all this stuff. So that's what the blood hunter fantasy is that's what like you want to be this you want to be the ultimate edge lord basically um and that's could be achieved from various other classes and things but really it is a niche that's not really fulfilled i feel like in normal 5e you've got this the way classes kind of fit in is that you've got like the primal uh the divine and then like the arcane and then you've got casters and marshals and then you've got a mix thereof like this whole big venn diagram um you've got your divine which is cleric you've got your marshal which is fighter and you've got your divine marshal which is paladin divine you got your primal which is druid your marshal which is fighter and then you got your primal marshal which is ranger and so on and then you got like your weird or like <laughs> kind of thing which is warlock and then there's no like weird marshal class so it definitely fits and I think the gravity and the size and scope of Critical Role and what Critical Role itself has done for the community has definitely led to people essentially assuming Blood Hunter is as core 5e, really. Um, most most DMs would... It's not like, like the conversation of having homebrew in your game needs to be discussed with your DM, of course. But most DMs kind of view Blood Hunter as 
core. They're like, sick, no stress. You can play Blood Hunter. It's not one of those ones that you have to make like a big discussion with. It's not like you've whipped out something on D&D Wiki that allows you to deal like 100 D10 at third level and ask your DM if you can play this. Um, so yeah, so that's actually a little bit of a blurb and preface for the Blood Hunter before we hop into it. So looking at the Blood Hunter... I'm looking at the uh, the 2020 version, which is the latest. Uh, there's been a couple of changes, a couple of iterations. There's four subclasses for it. Um, and the PDF is available on DMs Guild. Uh, it's beautiful. It's a very well-made PDF. And the art on it is awesome. And there's some awesome blurbs about being a monster to fight monsters and sacrifice to preserve life and all this business. So let's just jump right into the mechanics uh, situation. So you've got creating a blood hunter. Um, it, it talks about as you create a blood hunter, the most important aspects of your character are why you were driven to this lifestyle. And why do you seek to give up everything to wallow in the dark with the evils you hunt? And it just gives you some nice flavor for why did you become the ultimate edgelord? You know, um, it often links to like you could potentially have been uh like the victim of one of these monsters or like your whole village was was taken uh, like destroyed by a, like a werewolf attack i don't know like and it very much links to like this ferocity and this uh drive to take down these monsters and why would you link yourself to that you know so we get to the class features it's a 1d10 per blood hunter level hit die which makes sense that tracks with your fighter tracks with your paladin um you're a martial class your proficiencies, you get light armor, medium armor, shields, simple weapons, martial weapons. Um, awesome. Tools, alchemist supplies. I like that. Getting a tool proficiency very much fits in with the with the flavor of what you're going for here. This is your Witcher class, in case you haven't uh, in case you're not aware. Um so alchemist supplies makes sense. Your saving throws are dexterity and intelligence, which is awesome. Dexterity saving throws are arguably like the most proficient like most used dex uh saves in the game wisdom probably being tied or up there as well pretty much all physical effects most physical effects are dex based and then intelligence saves not used very often but often relates to things like mind control and stuff i like it um so then we get to our skills you get to choose three from athletics acrobatics arcana history insight investigation religion and survival all very good We'll skip over the equipment section to get to our very first feature, the Hunter's Bane. Beginning at first level, you have survived the Hunter's Bane, a dangerous, long-guarded ritual that alters your life's blood, forever binding you to the darkness and honing your senses against it. You have advantage on wisdom survival checks to track fey, fiends, or undead, as well as on intelligence checks to recall information about them. The Hunter's Bane also empowers your body to control and shape hemocraft magic, using your own blood and life essence to fuel your abilities. Some of your features require your target to make a saving throw to resist the feature's effects. The saving throw is calculated as follows. It's 8 plus proficiency plus intelligence. Uh, there was an edit. I don't know where it was. I think it was on like the wiki dot or something. That basically said that you can choose wisdom instead of intelligence if you like, which is fine. So... Hunter's Bane, from the first feature, we kind of get this idea of, okay, cool, you're a like a dark ranger, you know, you're hunting things, but the fact that you get advantage on uh, checks to track multiple creatures as opposed to having like a favored enemy kind of thing like that the rangers would get in the, at least in the original ranger that wasn't, uh, not with the Tasha's changes, 
it's cool. It's it's uh, a flavorful thing. It makes sense with your with the RP. It makes sense with the kind of character that you're creating. Awesome. And you get this introduction to uh, Hemocraft and this blood magic. So let's see what more we can get from that. The second level one feature is your blood maledict. At first level, you gain the ability to channel and sometimes sacrifice a part of your vital essence to curse and manipulate creatures through Hemocraft magic. You gain one blood curse of your choice, detailed in the blood curses section at the end of the class description. You, lo- you learn one additional blood curse of your choice, and you can choose one of the blood curses you know and place with another at 6th, 10th, 14th, 18th. When you use your blood maledict, you choose which curse to invoke. When invoking a blood curse, but before it affects the target, you can choose to amplify it by losing a number of hit points equal to one roll of your Hemocraft die, as shown in the Hemocraft die column of the Blood Hunter table. An amplified curse gains in one additional effect, noted in that feature's description, and creatures that don't have blood are immune to curses unless they are amplified. You can use this feature once, then at 6th level you can use it twice, 13, 3 times, 17, 4 times. You regain all uses after a short or long rest. So, a Hemocraft die starts at a d4, goes to a d6 at 5th level, d8 at 11th, all the way up to a d10. So basically, you get access, now you get access to blood magic. At first level, that's awesome. Already, you can see like a big core feature now is this fantasy that you're fulfilling of being a monster hunter that uses blood magic. You're this dark monster hunter. Sick. Perfect. Um, No notes. No notes. A very cool feature. The fact that you get access to, you can use two of them per short rest. Uh, makes it on par with other like martial characters. Um, I like it. Let's see how it, how it amplifies as we go on. Then you get your fighting style at second level. Get access to archery, dueling, great weapon fighting, two weapon fighting. I feel like the reason that there's only these specific four is maybe related to the SRD because not all fighting styles from the fighter are available on the SRD. So that's fine. You're a martial character. Getting out at second level, I back it. Then we get something interesting. At second level, you get Crimson Right. You learn to invoke a right of Hemocraft within your weapon at the cost of your own vitality. Choose one right from the primal rights list below to learn. As a bonus action, you activate a crimson right on a single weapon with the elemental energy of a known right of your choice that lasts until you finish a long or short rest if you aren't holding the weapon at the end of your turn or until you are, if you aren't holding the weapon. When you activate a right, you lose a number of hit points equal to one roll of your Hemocraft die as shown on the Bloodhunter table. So as you said, D4, D6, D8, then D12. When active, weapon attacks from the attacks from this weapon deal an additional one D4 of the chosen rights type. Damage is magical, um, as shown in the Hemocraft die column of the Bloodhunter. A weapon can hold a single right at a time, uh, and it increases. Sorry, increases levels as your Bloodhunter. So it becomes it, you, 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 you deal Hemocraft die damage basically. You get Rites of the Flame, Rites of the Frozen, Rites of the Storm, which do fire, cold, and lightning damage, respectively. And then you get Esoteric Rites, which you get at 14th level, which is either Rites of the Dead, Rites of the Oracle, or Rite of the Raw, um, which deal necrotic, psychic, and thunder damage, respectively. So, interesting. This is my first, like, note. So at second level, you get access to basically this cool elemental weapon that you get, which, very cool, I'm a big fan of that. This is when, to me, it gets a bit confusing as to what the fantasy of the Blood Hunter is. Are you a... Because this added feature is... It feels like just an extra thing. It feels an extra thing that's very Blood Hunter specific. 
my viewpoint on like the classes and how they've kind of been done and created in 5e is that each class has like a gimmick that makes that gives that class its identity you've got your sorcerer gets sorcery points uh wizards get their spell book barbarians get rage um rogues get sneak attack and and so on those features all fit in with the core fantasy of that class and now from this point of being the blood hunter it feels like the blood maledicts is more the core fantasy of being a blood hunter from early on you know you've got this dark dark warrior and you can use blood magic but now the blood magic changes to amplifying your your fighting abilities you've got like fire damage on your sword and stuff which flavor flavor flavorfully is awesome but i don't know how it fits it feels very much like if you see someone using this it's not oh they are a dark magic hunter if you see this and you go oh they are a blood hunter if you see someone smiting you're like cool that's a paladin but also like they're a holy warrior a smite feels like that kind of a thing you see someone tracking uh creatures and using like hunter's mark and stuff i know that's a ranger feature but it's not i don't know i think the crimson right feature is interesting and it's played and it's used very well in the class I just think it doesn't really mean much for the the core fantasy of the class. But but it's cool and it definitely helps with power and makes the class strong. Then at third level, you get your Blood Hunter Order, which we're going to discuss later. Level four, you get your ability score improvement. Five, extra attack. Perfect. You're a martial character. By fifth level, you're extra attacking. Awesome. Sixth level, you get your Brand of Castigation. At sixth level... Whenever you damage a creature with your Crimson Rite feature, you can choose to sear an arcane brand of Hemocraft magic into it, requiring no action. You always know the direction to the branded creature, and each time the branded creature deals damage to you or a creature you can see within 5 feet of you, the branded creature suffers psychic damage equal to your intelligence mod, obviously or wisdom if you uh, are using that instead. Your brand lasts until you dismiss it, or you apply a brand to another creature, your brand counts as a spell for the purpose of dispel magic, and the spell level is equal to half your blood hunter level. Maximum of ninth level spell. Once you use this feature, you can't use it again until you finish a short or long rest. Alright. Awesome feature. Now is when we start to see, okay, the Crimson Ride feature is actually the core feature of the class. Not necessarily the blood maledicts. What you'll see... Granted, the class isn't going to mention. And at this level, you get one more Blood Maledict. And I know the Blood Maledicts all... Uh, some of them have, like, level requirements. And they get stronger as you go, which is an awesome feature. But it feels like a side feature of the class. It feels like being a one-third spellcaster and getting access to more spells. Or a half spellcaster. When you're a ranger, you're not, like... When you're leveling up, your first thought is not, awesome, what new spell do I get? It feels like your new fe- your, when you level up, you're like... What new feature am I getting from my class or subclass? As opposed to a wizard or a sorcerer when you're thinking, awesome, what spell am I getting each level? Um, so it's interesting that the Crimson Rite is the core feature because it relates to the brand of castigation. And you'll see it relates to more things as you go throughout the class. Now, I have played I have played a Blood Hunter for a couple of sessions in a, in a campaign. And then I played in a party that had a Blood Hunter up to level 20. It was a Blood Hunter fighter multi-class. And uh, their character forgot about, <laughs> well, they forgot about Brand of Castigation for a while. 
Um, it is a feature that I think you should keep note of. And unless your DM has played Blind Hunter or is very aware of it, because it's one of the things that requires no action, it just happens, sometimes it's easy to forget about it. But thematically, it makes sense and it gives more of a, of a focus on the Crimson Rite, which, like I said, interestingly enough, didn't feel like it was the core element of this class, especially since you get Blood Maledicts and Blood Curses from first level and your Crimson Rite only from second. Then we get your Grim Psychometry. When you reach 9th level, you have a supernatural talent for discerning the history surrounding mysterious objects or places touched by evil. When making an intelligence history check to recall information about a darker past surrounding an object you are touching or a location you are present in, you have advantage on the roll. The information gleaned often leans towards the more sinister influences of the past and sometimes conveys visions of things previously unknown to the character on higher roles. I like this. I like... I like uh, homebrew, or I like class mechanics that give roleplay potential. Ninth level? Yeah, I think it might not be wow enough for a ninth level feature. um, Because it's often something that the DM might give you that kind of information anyway. Or the DC might not be very high and things like that. Oftentimes, this is like a DM specific. Like some DMs, especially if you're going off of like, pre-written adventures if the information is not there in the module that some dms might not work towards it um but if you've got a dm that's that you can work with and is very awesome very like quick on their feet or can create interesting interesting lore to make your class features feel important then yeah then it's dope gets our 10th level we get dark augmentation upon reaching 10th level arcane blood magic suffuses your body permanently reinforcing your resilience your speed increases by 5 feet, and whenever you make a strength, dex, or con saving throw, you gain a bonus to the saving throw equal to your intelligence or wisdom modifier. That's awesome. That's a wonderful 10th level feature. The extra 5 feet of speed, cool, it's 5 feet. It's not huge. Getting a bonus to your wisdom, so to your strength, dex, or con when you're, you, of your secondary stats. Because if you think of this like a little bit like a paladin, where a paladin's going to have probably going to try and max out your strength early on 20 strength and then your charisma you're probably going to get it to like 16 by 10th level if you're lucky if you rolled nicely but that's pretty much the highest you're really going to get it that's already a plus three if you're doing something similar for blood hunter you've got dex at 20 and a 16 intelligence or wisdom it means your strength dex and con saving throws get a plus three boost for all three of those saves you've already got dex saving throw proficiencies now you're adding another three onto it I love it. It's an awesome feature. Then we get our brand of tethering. Starting at 13th level, the psychic damage from your brand of castigation feature increases to twice your intelligence modifier, minimum of two. In addition, your branded creature can't take the dash action. And if a creature branded by you attempts to teleport or leave their current plane viability spell or portal, they take 46 psychic damage apologies 46 psychic damage and must make a wisdom saving throw on a failure the teleporter plane shift fails so now we've reached what's that 13th level we haven't outside of getting more blood curses that feature which i initially assumed was going to be core has taken a very batch of back seats to everything that relates to the crimson right crimson right brand of castigation now improved brand of castigation um which is very interesting and this class then it's interesting because you've gone like the the crimson right as it stands 
outside of like the initial damage you have to take for activating it, it's not a very like blood magic-y kind of a thing. You could really be like a wizard and have like a uh, like a like a blade singer and have a sword that's on fire. You know, um, there's flame blade as a spell for druids. So really, the further flavor and the further fantasy of the blood hunter gets uh, amplified as you go on with the brand the brand of castigation and it being improved as you go which kind of like doubles back into the fantasy of hunting monsters and stuff which is interesting it shows that maybe some not at every level at every level you don't maybe don't get a feature that links back to that fantasy but it kind of does go all way back around and of course you're getting blood curses as you go you're getting subclass features but yeah we get to our 14th level feature, Heart and Soul. When you reach 14th level, you have advantage on saving throws against being charmed and frightened. I love this feature. I use it. I feel like I use it pretty often for subclasses and things like that that I make. But I think I hop around as to whether this is a very strong feature or not. I feel like immunity to those those conditions might be worth a 14th level or one of those conditions. Because if you have, like, fair ancestry, you already have advantage on saving throws against being charmed. Um, so now to get it at 14th level, just advantage, that feels a little bit like, maybe it's not that strong. But charmed and frightened, that's cool. But, yeah, then we get to our 20th level. You get Sanguine Mastery. Upon becoming 20th level, you honed your control over blood magic, mitigating your sacrifice and empowering your capabilities. Once per turn, whenever a blood hunter feature requires you to roll a Hemocraft die, you can choose to re-roll the die and choose which result to use. In addition, whenever you score crimson, a critical hit with a weapon attack empowered by your Crimson Rite, you regain one expended use of your blood maledict feature. I don't think this is a very strong capstone. I think by the time you hit level 20, your character should feel like, like demigods. Because... Like, just make level 20 features really strong. Because no one gets to level 20. And most level 20s are like level 21 shots. And the DMs grossly underestimate how strong a party is anyway. And even if they throw like two Tarasks at you, you're probably still going to win. Death is no longer, and like losing HP to zero HP is no longer a fear when you're that high level. So balance kind of feels like it throws out the, it gets thrown out the window. So just lean into it arch druid amazing you can just wild shape as many times as you want level 20 sick paladins getting all they're getting their like final oath feature where oath of vengeance you have like wings and all this cool stuff like go super saiyan make level 20 huge just do it this doesn't feel very strong maybe a 19th level but if think of it like this once per turn when you get a hemocraft when you roll a hemocraft die you get to re-roll and take the lower number. Or re-roll and take the higher number if you're doing damage. At 20th level, as a blood hunter, your con's really pretty high. With tough and all these kinds of things, your HP's gonna be up like like 150-ish. I don't know. I can't think of those maths, that maths right now. But that's basically what we're looking at. You're not a squishy character. Are you, like, best case scenario, <laughs> when you activate a, a blood maledict, like, like a blood curse, and you amplify it. You roll your Hemocraft die to take that damage. You roll your D10. At 20th level, it's a D10. You roll it. You roll a 10. Oh, no. Now I'm taking 10 points of Necrotic. Is that really that big of a deal? 
Then you, re- you use your 20th level feature to re-roll it, and you're rolling a 1. Cool. Now you take 1 point of damage. So your 20th level feature has saved you 9 points of damage, which is not, like, it's pretty negligible this high level. Similarly, um, if you're attacking with your flaming greatsword that's got your crimson, your, your right of fire and things on it, you attack, you roll a 1 on your Hemocraft die. You re-roll, you roll a 10. Nice. You've gotten an extra 9 damage at level 20. Which, like I said, th- this is an awesome feature at like 19, level 19 maybe. Level 17, 18, 19. Um, you could have maybe even thrown it like with Heart and Soul at level 14. Maybe that's a bit too strong. But, yeah, just uh, negating like nine maximum 9 points of damage once per turn. It's not really huge when your friend the arch druid next to you is turning into an elemental and then we're getting reduced to zero HP going back to the elf form and then turning into an elemental again. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't feel on par with the other super saiyan abilities that some classes get at 20th level. Um, when you score a critical hit, you get another blood maledict. That's cool. Like at this level, you've maybe got one or two you got like a weapon that crits at a 19 and so on and you got all these extra attacks and all these things that give you advantage and stuff and getting an extra blood curse could be cool you know you get four at this level so now you can might get another one back and so on overall overall when you look at the class subclasses aside all the blood maledicts and things aside i think the interesting takeaway to make is to think about the fact that the hemocraft and the Crimson Rite is such a core feature, which is interesting, and doesn't necessarily, like the Crimson Rite on its own, as I've said before, doesn't really link into that fantasy um, of commanding dark blood magic and things. Um, But then it does link to like hunting and tracking creatures when you get the brand of castigation. So definitely remember your brands, that you've got them, as we hop into our subclasses. So... The subclasses for the Blood Hunter are your Blood Hunter orders. So there's a handful of secretive orders of Blood Hunters that guard their cryptic techniques and rituals. One must adhere to one of these orders to even be granted access to the Hunter's Bane Rite that starts their journey. And only once they've proven their dedication and ability will the secrets of the order begin to be revealed. It's within these small enigmatic sects that the real power of a Blood Hunter is learned. Awesome awesome flavor i love the idea of subclasses linking like potentially giving the players links to a world you could have any homebrew world anything like that and as soon as you introduce or any like core world as soon as you introduce a blood hunter character it answers asks those questions of who's your order you don't have to have one you know you could have learned the stuff on your own but where's the fun in that who did you learn it from are they good? Are they bad? Are they questionable? Are you trying to go like the, the lawful good route as you, your players teach you to, as you, the rest of the players in the party teach you to not uh, be this heartless monster and then suddenly someone from your order comes and is the source of conflict because they want you to return to the old ways. That's awesome. I love that. It's like, um, and I feel like it's not used all that often because not all subclasses link to that. You know, um, sick. Absolutely love it. So we get to our first subclass, Order of the Ghost Slayer. The subclasses, I'm not going to go in as much depth. I'm not going to read uh, in as much depth as we go on. We already hit uh, 30 odd minutes. 
Um, and I still want to touch on like the blood curses and things like that. And there's four subclasses to go through. So Order of the Ghost Slayer is the first one. It's the oldest of the orders, having originally rediscovered the secrets of blood magic and refined them for combat against the scourge of undeath. Ghost Slayers seek out and study the moment of death, obsessing over the mysteries of the transition and how it can become corrupted by unholy powers to rise once more. Tuning their abilities to annihilate such abominations, these zealous blood hunters seek out the sources of such necromantic energies, intent to destroy them wherever they arise. Awesome. What's interesting about the, the Blood Hunter subclasses is that there's five subclass features, uh, which most classes only give you four. So that's interesting. Um, so very much this is your class that takes out undead. And I really am keen to tackle some more, like some homebrew of homebrew, like Blood Hunter subclasses, because it's the type of class that allows you to really delve into this fantasy of being a monster and tackling the different monsters. You could have Order of the Vampire. You could have, like, um, Order of uh, the, the like, the, the Mage Slayers. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many that you can really tackle. Um, so I'd be keen to, t- to, to, to read a couple. So at third level, you get Rite of the Dawn. This is a new Crimson Rite. It gives you a Rite a right that deals Radiant Damage. It's uh, the Radiant... Uh, right gives bright light for 20 feet gives you resistance to necrotic damage and deals one additional hemocraft die when you hit an undead so it's almost like a little smite i dig it i think that's awesome and really strong at third level in comparison to the normal blood hunter because think about it by the time you get to fifth level or if you have if you dual wielding or something like that and you've got a right well it's just it's a right on one weapon but when you get extra attack and so on um, or if you're going like pull on master, for whatever reason, if you're attacking more than once with that weapon on an undead, you're dealing with Hemocraft die twice per attack, which is really strong. Uh, third level, you get curse specialist. It gives you one additional use of blood maledict. Um, and they can target any creature whether it has blood or not. So before, if a creature had blood, it was immune to your curses unless you amplified them. Now you don't need to amplify them at all. Very cool third level feature. And, this is where <laughs> I know I'm like hopping on this, but the thing with the Blood Hunter is that it has three. It has two core features. It has Blood Curse and it has Crimson Right, and the the Blood Hunter itself feels like the Blood Maledicts are the lesser of the core features, which, as I said, surprising doesn't read that feels more like the fantasy than anything else. And the subclass, at least the first one. From third level, you get a boost to each of those core features. So, interesting. I like that. I think subclasses should, in some way, shape, or form, feed back into what makes a class its core. Like, Berserker Barbarian, it has something that relates to rage, you know? Um, well, for example, like, Bards have Bardic Inspiration. So, you've got, like, College of Swords, which, uh, like, allows you to use Bardic Inspiration for different things. I think that's awesome. Then we get to Ethereal Step at 7th level, which is basically allows you to phase through walls, uh, move through creatures and objects as if difficult to rain. Um, yeah, it's awesome. You can magically step into the veil between the planes. It's very cool, very ghost slayery and becoming the monster. So we'll see if that's a trend that feeds through. Are you becoming the monster you're trying to hunt? Um, I love it. That's an awesome feature. The Ghost Slayer, definitely, definitely awesome. 11th level, you get the Brand of Sundering. Uh, your Brand of Castigation now exposes a fragment of the first essence. Whenever you damage a creature with your Crimson Rite, 
that is already branded, your weapon attack deals one additional Hemocraft die of right damage. In addition, that creature can't move through objects or creatures. So now, <laughs> now we come back and we're like, cool. And now the second core feature, sorry, the third core feature, which is actually an extension of the second core feature, is your brand of castigation. your brand of castigation, and we're making that stronger. I'm a big fan of your, your like I said, your core features being amplified or, or, or expanded upon with your subclasses. But I think that's what I feel like. If anyone does have a problem or, or feels like, if ever Bloodhunter feels like it's overcomplicated, I think it's because of that. I think it's because it doesn't have it has three core features, which I like. I like the idea of having multiple core features. I think it gives you more creativity when creating a class. My my what I like doing when I create classes is I have one core feature and then I have um, a variant core feature that's much smaller. So like you'll have the core feature that's feeds through the whole class and then you'll be able to choose your subclass and then you'll choose a sick and then you'll have like another core feature which is much smaller which you also get to choose which just allows for creativity one blood hunter might have crimson the right of flame and one might have the right of lightning and that is creativity you know you can it can separate one blood hunter from another which i think is cool um but yeah so we get to our blood curse of the exorcist level 15 feature at 15th level you've honed your hemocraft die to tear wicked influence from your allies Punishing those who would infiltrate their body and mind. You gain the blood curse of the exorcist for your blood maledic feature, so it gives you another blood curse. Amazing. You're going back. <laughs> going back to, it's another cool feature of the whole class, and now we're just amplifying it um, while still maintaining the flavor. So very well-written subclass. And then at level 18, you get right revival. Uh, when you reduce the zero hit points, but you have an active right, you can instead extinguish your right to restore to one hp so it's this transfer of energy doesn't necessarily feed um feed into the ghost layer thing but the fading life the the studying how life becomes death and all that kind of stuff that does feed into it so overall like it so i was hoping this class wouldn't be the second one to talk about because this one is <laughs> uh this one is complex so the order of the profane soul is our second subclass those who have taken to the Order of the Profane Soul have seen the limits of Hemocraft against some of the most ancient and cruel fiends and terrors of the world. Unable to pursue beings of such power, creatures able to vanish amongst the nobles without a trace or bend the mind of the most stalwart warrior with, with but a glance, this order trusted in their resilience and trusted in their resilience and delved into the same well of corrupting arcane knowledge, making pacts with lesser evils to better combat the greater. While they may have traded a part of themselves, members of this order believe the power gained far outweighs the price, for even devils now quake when they know they've drawn the attention of the order of the profane soul. This is the, the spellcastery subclass. It is, like, counted as you're like a one-third warlock, and warlocks already can't cast many spells i know it's like the meme and the point of it is that you can only cast two but they're super strong and you get them back on short rests this is a watered down warlock with more martial abilities i'm not a big fan i feel like it's not it's too much it's doing too much already when there's a class where there's like three core features um but it does scratch that itch of being able to cast spells and i've played all the order of profane soul because it feeds a cool fantasy which is not warlock. It's 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 warlocky. It's warlock adjacent. Um, you get profane soul spell casting, which gives you one spell slot up until fifth level, which can be up to first. Which can gives you one spell slot for levels three, four, and five, 
And then you get another spell slot at sixth level, and you, that's it. For the rest of the game, you only have two spell slots, and the highest level spell slot you get is fourth at 19th level. You have first level spells until sixth level, then second level spells until you're level 12, then third levels until you're 17, 18, and so on. You get two cantrips, you learn these spells, and you get them from the Warlock spell list. Cool. You're a one-third spell caster, just a little bit of flavorful extra magic. At third level, you also get your right focus. Um, Sorry, you also choose your otherworldly patron, but that links into your, your right focus. So you can choose either the Fiend, the Archfey, the Great Old One, the Undying, the Celestial, or the Hexblade, or the Undead as well. Um, we're just going to like skim through these as we go, but at third level, you get your right focus. This once again, same like with the ghost layer, you get an extra buff to your right, which I like it's become the core feature. It is the blood hunter feature. It is the wild shape of blood hunters. Sick. Things like the arch give you, uh, whenever you hit a creature, they glow with faint light. So they can't benefit from half cover or being invisible. Fiends, if you use Rite of Flame, if you roll one or two, you can re-roll and so on. Cool. Just a bit of extra flavor on top of some spells. Uh, on top of like a spell. Cool. Seventh level, you get Mystic Frenzy. When you use an action to cast a cantrip, you immediately make one weapon attack as a bonus action. Amazing. That's sick. By the time you get to seventh level, you're this is cool. Like you're a cool character. I like this. You're an Aldrich Knight vibes. You can go Booming Blade or Thunder, what am I saying? <laughs> Thunder Wave. Booming Blade or Green Flame Blade is your action, bonus action, use an attack, or activate your Crimson Right and so on. Cool combo, I like it. Then we get to our seventh level. Well, that was seventh level, but the second seventh level feature is Revealed Arcana. At seventh level, your Dark Patron grants you the rare use of a dangerous arcane spell based on your pact. Archfey, you get to use Blur, but it uses a pact magic spell slot. Fiend, you get Scorching Ray but it uses a pack magic spell slot and so on. I don't like this. I, the fact that it's, it's, it's a feature that you get on top of mystic frenzy makes it a little bit better because that's the core feature you're getting. And basically what it's saying is you get mystic frenzy and an extra spell, which that's fine. Extra spell. That's not normally on the list or is on the list, but, and so on. This kind of feels like there's, there's this warlock, um, there's those warlock, what are they called? Eldritch Invocations that give you access to more spells uh, or give you an extra spell that you learn, but you cast it with a spell slot. I feel like that's a waste of like an Eldritch Invocation when you could get something that's much stronger. Just getting another spell, which often they're not even that great, um, doesn't feel that good, you know? Like I said, this is offset by the fact that you can do the whole cantrip action, bonus action, uh, weapon attack, so this is just like a lot of extra flavor that you get one more spell. Um, but I think if you were able to cast it once per long rest without using a spell slot at its lowest level, that'd be amazing. I think that'd be awesome. Because as it stands, you still can't use it more than once per long rest. So if you use a short rest, so if you so say you've got the Archfey, how it says here, it says Archfey, you can cast Blur once using a pack magic spell slot. Can't do so again until you finish a long rest. Cool. You use your your blur, you um, use your spell slot to do so, you have a short rest, you get that spell slot back. Can't cast blur anymore, so it's a weird spell that's not even on your spell list. I think either give it to us on your spell list, become a spell known, or let us cast it once per long rest without it. 
So, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Brand of the Sapping Scarred, 11th level. Uh, when you attack a creature and get them branded, they have disadvantage on your saving throws against your Warlock spells. That's awesome, but... At this level, your 11th level, it's your secondary spell sl- uh, secondary ability score, intelligence or wisdom. Highest you're really getting it is like 16, unless you're focused on it. So, you're really, your spell save is like, I don't know, 15, something around there. And you're 11th level. The creatures you're attacking, their saves are probably going to be above 15. When they're comparing themselves to like your wizards and things like that, who are going to have spell saves around 18 at this level, 17, 18, you are way outmatched by them. And the spells that would be best for you to use are things like Hex, you know, things that are going to consistently increase your damage. So maybe giving them disadvantage on saving throws against all spells, maybe that's too strong. But yeah, I think cool in theory doesn't really equate to being that strong. We get 15th level, you get un- Unsealed Arcana, but I like that it goes back to your brand of castigation through line, I like it. 15th level... Paging grants you rare use of an additional arcane spell based on your pact once again. Now we're talking now. Each spell you get can be spent, can be used without spending a spell slot. Fiend, you can cast Fireball without expending a spell slot. Can't do so again until you finish a long rest. This, if this was applied to right to your revealed arcana at 7th level, that would be perfect. Hexblade, if that's your patron, you get to cast Blink without expending a spell slot. Amazing. Sweet. You just get an extra, you just get a third level spell at 15th level to cast once per day. I like it. That's awesome. Um, 18th level, you get Blood Curse of the Soul Eater. You gain access to uh, just another Blood Curse. Awesome. Class specific Blood Curse. I like that that's a through line. Yeah. It's a complicated subclass that doesn't feel like the other subclasses really because of all the choices. It's like subclass and a subclass and a subclass. Um, but yeah. Then we get Order of the Mutant. This is the Witcher. Um, process of the Hunter's Bane is a painful, scarring, and sometimes fatal experience. Those that survive find themselves irrevocably changed, enhanced. Some find this experience exalting. Embracing the ability to alter one's physiology through a combination of hemocraft and corrupted alchemy. Over generations of experimentation, a splinter order of blood hunters began to emerge. One that focused on brewing toxic elixirs to modify their capabilities in battle altering their blood, and over time becoming something beyond what they once were. They called themselves the Order of the Mutant. Researching their targets to know their strengths and weaknesses, these blood hunters can alter their biology to be best prepared for the coming conflict. So, this is the Witcher, (laughs) basically. Um, So, at third level, you gain access to formulas. Um, You choose to learn four four mutagen formulas at third level. You get your mutagen at the end of the class. Um, You gain additional formula at 7th, 11th, 15th, 18th. Each, I think the mutagens also have level requirements. I could be wrong. Additionally, when you gain a new mutagen formula, you can swap out and so on. And then at third level, you also get mutagen craft. Um, you can concoct a single mutagen when you finish a short or long rest. Starting at 7th level, the number of mutants you can create becomes 2 and then 3 at 15th level. As a bonus action, you can consume it. Um, they're designed for your own biology, no effect on other creatures, lose their potency over time, so they become inert before you finish or your next short or long rest. Awesome. I love it. Um, very cool. There's a lot going on in Blood Hunter. You've got your Blood Maledicts, and 
what I like about the Ghost Slayer class and also the Order of the Lycan we'll get to at the end is that the subclasses are simple enough because the class itself has a lot going on. And I feel like Order of the Profane Soul, Order of the Mutant, it, they, each of those subclasses have a lot going on, which does make them hard for new players. But I think the mutant, mutants, uh, mutagens are sick. So for seventh level, you get strained metabolism. Um, you gain immunity to poison damage and poison condition. Um, in addition, you can instill a burst of adrenaline to temporarily resist the negative effects of a mutagen. As a bonus action, you can ignore the side effects for one minute. So there was also another an additional change that was added. I see that the changes aren't on this PDF for some reason, but I see that they are on the the DMs RPG the DMs Guild. Um, I'll tackle some of the changes before we end off the episode. So, strain metabolism. So, the whole thing with the mutagens is that you take them, they give you a big buff, but they also give you a drawback. So, disadvantage on stealth checks or, or things like that. Disadvantage on deck saves and things. So, the blood hunter that played in the party with us up to level 20, um, they were a, a order of the mutant. Saw it firsthand. The drawbacks do come into play but they don't feel like devastating. They feel good. It feels like a good drawback for how strong you can become. Um, so I like that a lot. And to be able to resist these for a minute, um, I love that. And the fact that you can only use it once per long rest, cool. You can really, it can come in handy when you are uh, really, really struggling. I think if you are, if you made it that you can do it as a reaction, that could be nice. Especially if it's like, wow, this fireball is really going to end me and I have disadvantage on deck saves. Let's use my reaction to get this myself this adrenaline boost to really like flush out the negative effects. I think that could be cool because uh, you don't know necessarily if you when you're going to need to have this. But I guess you could save it for the long battles. Great. Uh, at 11th level, you get Brand of Axiom. Um Brand of Castigation forces a foe's true nature. Any illusions uh, when you brand them end. Uh, if a creature branded by you is polymorphed or changed shape, they must succeed in a wisdom save or revert to the original form. I feel like this is very much the Witcher thing, but it doesn't really fit in with the whole, I have these elixirs and this alters my physiology and that kind of stuff to be able to see shape changes, shapeshifters. That doesn't really feel like it fits too much to me, but cool feature. At 15th level, you get Blood Curse of Corrosion. Gives you one more Blood Curse. Called the Blood Curse of Corrosion. And at 18th level, you get Exalted Mutation. Your body has adapted to produce your toxins naturally in a moment of need. As a bonus action, choose one mutagen currently affecting you to flush from your system and end. Then immediately have a mutagen you know the formula for take its effect take effect in its place. You can use this number of times equal to your intelligence mod. Regain all uses before you, when you after you finish a long rest. Perfect. Um... That's an awesome capstone to be able to just almost like reflexively change the features. Love it. Um, and then we got a list of mutagens. I'm not going to go through all of them. There's a couple. There's mutagen of embers. Gives you resistance to fire, but vulnerability to cold. Uh, the mobile mutagen. Immunity to grappled and restrained. At 11th level, you're also immune to paralyzed, but you gain disadvantage on strength checks. So it's that kind of give and take, which I think is awesome. And then the last subclass we're going to tackle, as this uh, episode has already gone very long, <laughs> is the Order of the Lycan. Of the many terrible curses that plague the realm, few are as ancient or as feared as lycanthropy. Passed through blood, 
This affliction seeds a host with the savage strength and hunger for violence of a wicked beast. The Order of the Lycan is a proud order of blood hunters who undergo the taming, a ceremonial infliction of lycanthropy from a senior member. These hunters then use their abilities to harness the power of the monster they harbor without losing themselves to it. Through intense honing of one's own willpower combined with the secrets of the Order's blood magic rituals, members learn to control and unleash their hybrid form for short periods of time. Enhanced physical prowess, unnatural resilience, and razor-sharp claws make these warriors terrible foe to any evil that crosses their path. Yet, no training is perfect, and without care and complete focus, even the greatest of blood hunters can temporarily lose themselves to the bloodlust. Love it. Love werewolves. Werewolves and vampires, yes. <laughs> At third level, you get heightened senses, gives you advantage on perception checks for hearing and smell. And at third level, you also get the core feature, hybrid transformation. This allows you to turn into a werewolf, giving you plus one to melee damage rolls, gives you resilient high, which boosts your AC, and predatory strikes, which, um, oh, where am I looking here? Um, predatory strikes, you can apply a crimson right to unarmed strikes as a single weapon. You can use dex instead of strength, and when you use the attack action with an unarmed strike, you make one additional attack with a bonus action. Your unarmed strikes are a d6 and become a d8 at 11th level. That's strong. That's awesome. And the fact that you could just use one right for all your attacks kind of thing, as opposed to, like, normally if you're dual wielding, you would have to one right, one right kind of thing as you go with two separate bonus actions. Um, that's awesome. And then you get your bloodlust. I love the concept, like the narrative concept of losing control and in the in battle and having this monster inside and stuff. I've used it in two, two characters that I've played. Um... And I think the way it's done here with Bloodlust is awesome. You begin your turn with no more than half your maximum hit points. Then you must succeed in a Wisdom 8 saving throw or move directly towards the nearest creature to you and use the attack action against that creature. You can choose whether or not to use your extra attack feature. If there is more than one possible target, roll to randomly determine the target. You then regain control for the remainder of your turn. If you're under the effect that prevents you from concentrating like Rage, you automatically fail the saving throw. So, perfect. I have struggled with, like, how to narratively or how to, like, mechanically word, like, losing control and, like, attacking the nearest creature to you. And this is a short, quick, to the point, and you regain control after making that attack. And I like that. I feel like if you're delving into the world of homebrew, even though this is basically core, if you're delving into the world of homebrew, you don't really need to have everything spelled out for you. And I feel like as a writer, I get tripped up on that all the time. I make sure everything is as clearly written out as possible. Sometimes it becomes too verbose. But the way it's written here, you choose randomly, um, roll to randomly determine the target. It leaves, like, it's, it's, it leaves up rules as intended kind of thing, which I like. Um... Already, this feeds into a whole new fantasy of being this, of this heroic fantasy of being this werewolf that can lose control while still maintaining the core Bloodhunter feature of the Crimson Rite. So I think this is an incredible subclass. At 7th level, Stalker's Prowess, you get your speed increased by 10 feet. You can also add 10 feet to your long jump, 3 feet to your high jump. In addition, your hybrid form gets improved predatory strikes, which gives you a plus 1 bonus to attack, plus 2 bonus at 11, and plus 3 at 18th level. In addition... When you have Crimson Rite activated and using Unarmed Strikes, they count as magical. Love it. At 11th level, you get Advanced Transformation. So you can use uh, you can use your Hybrid Transformation twice and regain all uses when you finish a short or long rest. 
In addition, you also get Lycan Regeneration, which at the start of each of your turns, you regain health. Um, which is amazing. My thing with this is, at the start of each of your turns, the wording of, and it's something that I've circled with as well, is the, at the start of each of your turn situation, there's a large portion of D&D which is not in combat. So, the, we, I mean, we tend to just translate this to once every six seconds, you can regain HP. Um, but if you have at least one HP and no more than half your hit points left. Yeah. Um, I think, obviously, it, it, it gets to a point where you have more than half your HP, so you stop regenerating. But it's just an interesting thing to think about. The interesting thing to think about when you're making homebrew is, like, not everything is related to combat. And then you get the brand of the voracious... At 15th level, you have advantage to wisdom saves to maintain control of your blood bloodlust. In addition, your brand of castigation now binds your foe to your hunter's thirst for savagery, while in your hybrid form, your attacks have advantage against a creature branded by you. Um, awesome. Love that. Brand of castigation, that very much fits in with the subclass. 10 out of 10. At 18th level, you get hybrid transformation mastery. Um, you can use it an unlimited number of times. Hybrid form now lasts indefinitely. You get Blood Curse of the Howl. This is an amazing uh, <laughs> capstone feature. Um, I actually had a, had a favorite. It was going to be Order of the Ghost Slayer. But now that I'm reading Order of the Lycan again, it's the best. It's the best one. It's the best subclass. It's simple enough. It feeds into the into the, the fantasy of being this, this, this dark, cursed warrior. And... You have you, there's self sacrifice involved. You can lose control. It's it's awesome. Ten out of ten, and the blood and the capstone feature, love it. So before we end off, just a, a quick skim through a couple of the blood curses. Uh, I get blood curse of the anxious. So this is cool. It shows that there's role play things. It's not just related to combat. Bonus action: you magnify the adrenaline in your body of uh, of a creature within thirty feet of you, making them susceptible to forceful influence. Till the end of your turn, you have advantage on all intimidation checks on the target on the target creature. And then, when you amplify it, the next wisdom saving throw the target has to make before this curse ends has this advantage. Once you've amplified the blood curse, you must finish the long rest before you can amplify it again. Not that you can't use it again; just can't amplify it again. And then we'll look at one more blood curse of binding. As a bonus action, you can bind a creature that's no more than one size larger than you within 30 feet. Must make a strength save or have their speed reduced to zero. And they can't use reactions until the end of your next turn. And if you amplify it, you can affect a creature for any size. It lasts for a minute. Uh, and then the creature remakes the saves. I like it. Um, let's look at one of the, the one or two of the, the class-specific ones. Blood curse of the exorcist. As a bonus action, you can choose one creature you can see within 30 feet of you that is charmed, frightened, or possessed. Creature is no longer charmed, frightened, or possessed. If you amplify it, uh, the target of your curse, the creature that charmed, frightened, or possessed the target of your curse features, suffers 3d6 psychic damage and must make a wisdom saving throw or be stunned until the end of your next turn. Cool. I like it. Very cool. 15th level feature. And yeah, I'm not going to go through all of them. Um... But let's have a look quick at the at the last uh, the, the the update changes that didn't seem to make it into this PDF. So the damage die of the progression changed. As I said, it goes up to D10, D60, D10. Um, you can stop blood curses. It says here that grim psychometry can be used once per rest. Uh, it avoids abuse or making the feature feel blasé. I like that. Like I said, I feel like it's a type of feature that. Does would really get used unless your DM is the type of DM to really feed into things like that. But it's awesome. Um, Ghost Slayer, Right to the Dawn. 
uh, now causes the Blood Hunter to only suffer half the damage when activated. Um, Ghost Slayer feature Hallowed Veins. I feel like these features, this feels like an old change. That doesn't really... Anyways, sorry. <laughs> None of those changes feel relevant. But um, that's the that's that's the Blood Hunter as it stands. Uh, potentially, the, this is the 2020 version. So it looks like this is the most updated, but could be wrong. But that's the, the, the whole core of it as it stands. Overall, I'm not going to like rate Homebrew. I think especially some, it's like rating a fighter class, especially the Blood Hunter. It's basically, it's basically canon. It's basically core at this stage. But I think if you were to like consider classes in terms of like complexity and difficulty, the Blood Hunter is a complex class. It fulfills the fantasy. It fulfills the fantasy of being this dark, brooding, edgy, like blood magic y kind of a warrior. Lesser degree, Blood Curse, you'll find as you play it, I feel like Blood Curses and Blood Maledicts would be used that often. They are based off of your Hemocraft save, which is your secondary stat only, unless you're going like fully into that. So odds are you're going to really be attacking mostly on your turn and using your Crimson Right feature, which becomes the main core feature of the class, um, which can fulfill a whole other fantasy, you know. So if I were to rank the subclasses from like least favorite to favorite uh, and which ones I'd be most keen to play and I would definitely put Order of the Profane Soul at the bottom. Um, and then I would say there's a big gap between fourth and third. And then I'd say third would be Order of the Mutant. I think it's it's a bit too complicated, a little bit it's less complicated than the Order of the Profane Soul. And if it fulfills an awesome fantasy and the mechanics are sick, but I think it is still just a bit complicated for a class that's already complicated. But then closely ahead of that will be second and first place. And those are hip and hop around as to which one's first and second. But I'd probably put right now, and this changes based on the day, I'd say order the Ghost Slayer second and order the Lycan first. Um, yeah, I think clearly those two classes, those two subclasses feel like the core subclasses and the other two feel like the extras that were made afterwards. Don't know if that's true, but... Um, just like if you look at Battlemaster versus you look at like um, Rune Rune Knight, there are very different levels of complexity. Um, or Champion versus Rune Knight, or the Assassin Rogue versus like um, what other rogue can we compare it to? The Soul Knife Rogue, you know. Very big difference in terms of like levels of of complexity and creativity that go down into those creations but overall i think if you're going to play a blood hunter if you're a, if you're a beginner um maybe go with one of the ghosts the ghost slayer or the lichen but there's so much room for cool flavor for interesting characters as i said the whole having your blood hunter order be a thing that could potentially be in the in the world is amazing and i love that and that's that's it. Those are my overall thoughts on the Blood Hunter. I know I said I want to be spotlighting some smaller creators, and we're definitely gonna. But I think for the first episode, definitely need to tackle something that is arguably what I think what a lot of people would look at and be like, "This is what homebrew should be, and what homebrew can get." Like, this is the only level of homebrew I will accept. And I think that's that. It has flaws. It's very good, and it fits in with the classes. But yeah. Bloodhunt is good. It's a lot, <laughs> but it's good. And yeah, that is the end of my homebrew discussion. 
uh, for this episode of the RPGs podcast. And I'll check you guys on the next episode.